0: to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. May 31st, 2022, the wireless industry's growth problem. Wireless operators in the United States committed to invest over $200 billion into 5G, but does anyone care? Consumers have shown little interest in switching between service providers because of 5G, they have also been slow to upgrade to higher-priced 5G rate plans with their existing provider. Meanwhile, wireless operators face a more challenging economic environment in which the consumer is struggling with the impacts of inflation. We think that will challenge their ability to bolster their primary growth engine, postpaid phone revenue, thereby limiting overall industry growth to low single digits. We took this opportunity to update estimates for the three national wireless operators – Our industry-wide subscriber growth estimates are 20% below consensus. But more importantly, we believe the industry will be challenged to push the bills of existing customers higher. We formally initiated coverage on Verizon with a neutral rating. We updated our price target on AT&T to $27 on a standalone basis. And finally, we increased estimates for T-Mobile, but remained neutral. T-Mobile epitomizes the industry. Investors focus on the synergies and share repurchase, likely because they realize the five-year compounded annual growth rate of service revenue won't top 3%. The 2021 growth blip. The wireless industry experienced elevated growth in 2021, adding 9 million new phone subscriptions, including postpaid and prepaid. We expect a reversion to normalized levels of 5.5 million subscriber net additions this year, dropping by more than a third This means we expect last year's 3.3% subscriber growth to moderate to less than 2% growth in the near term and to 1% within five years. Can the prepaid feast continue? Our postpaid estimates reflect better growth, in part because of the migration of prepaid subscribers. We expect industry prepaid phone subscribers to decline by 1.2 million this year and 700,000 next year. The ability of operators to cannibalize Prepaid will be more challenging going forward, given the uncertain economic outlook and impact of rising prices on the consumer. In addition, Boost has been a source of subscribers for its peers, and Dish promises changes that it expects will reduce its customer losses in upcoming quarters. We are 20% below consensus. Despite the macro headwinds, we expect 1.5% to 3% growth in post-paid phone subscribers going forward, That's not terrible, but it implies that industry net ads will fall to 6.7 million this year from 9.4 million in 2021. That is 1.9 million, or 22% below consensus. Our peers may be excluding 950,000 of base cleanups and network shutdowns in their estimates. That is odd, as this is churn of subs that are allegedly paying their bills. Even if we excluded this cleanup our estimate would still be 1 million below consensus in 2022. In 2023, our estimate should be apples to apples with the consensus. There should be no residual one-timers or network turnoffs. Our estimate of six point one million postpaid phone net ads in twenty-three is two million or twenty-four percent below consensus. Cable is not a disruptor. They're basically prepaid. Remember when cable was supposed to disrupt wireless? Before cable entered the wireless market, the national wireless operators were adding 2 to 4 million postpaid phone subscribers per year. After cable launched in 2017, that number rose to the high end of that range, as churn declined to record lows and ARPU remained stable. That is decidedly not disruptive. The reality is that cable's wireless subs look more like prepaid subscribers than postpaid. For example, Charter's wireless ARPU of 36 dollars is lower than T-Mobile's prepaid ARPU. It's also 30 percent lower than the postpaid phone ARPU of the national carriers. If we excluded cable net ads from our industry postpaid estimates, our estimates for the national wireless operators would still be elevated compared to the pre-2017 subscriber growth levels noted above. And yet, we are below consensus. So where can wireless operators find revenue growth? Our outlook for industry subscriber growth is clearly not enough to generate the sustainable revenue growth that investors prefer, unless a wireless operator is taking material share. But it's hard to make a long-term case for notable shifts in market share in the wireless industry. Network differentiation is tightened, churn rates are at record lows, and any material change to pricing— would have an impact to that free cash cow generated by their large subscriber bases. So then what? Wireless operators can attempt to boost revenue growth with wireless home broadband, wholesale, and IoT, but postpaid phone revenue, which represents 75% of total service revenue, is still the primary driver of growth. We estimate that in 2022, postpaid phone revenue will contribute 260 basis points of the 3.4% industry growth that we forecast. And in 2023, we expect it to contribute 220 basis points of our 3.2% expected growth. Without postpaid phone revenue growth, these companies have major growth challenges. Wireless operators need postpaid phone ARPU growth. Subscriber growth is not enough to deliver the revenue growth that investors desire. Average Revenue Per Unit, ARPU, the monthly recurring bill, needs to rise if the industry hopes to grow as little as 3%. But operators are loath to raise prices because of the impact it has on subscriber growth. Instead, they are currently attempting to entice movement to higher-priced rate plans while eliminating the lower-priced and outdated ones. But is there a reason for consumers to upgrade? 5G has not been enough to attract wireless consumers to higher priced rate plans. The major telcos have enabled 5G on all of their unlimited postpaid rate plans. Verizon withholds its ultra-wideband 5G from entry-level subscribers, but includes this faster speed level on the rest of the rate plans. We are skeptical faster 5G is inducing many subscribers to upgrade. Is free streaming still an attractive incentive to upgrade rate plans? Wireless operators have included popular streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus to incent subscribers to upgrade to pricier plans. They are obviously higher costs associated with these incremental revenue, but it enables reporting a better revenue growth number on the quarterly report. That's an easy decision for a CEO, given the limited details these companies offer about costs and accounting methods. Wireless operators have also boosted ARPU by offering free trials of these streaming services to lower-tier wireless subscribers. When the trial ends, the charge for the streaming service gets included in the bill. Like higher admin fees, the increased charge is rarely noticed by subscribers on auto-billing to a credit card. Yes, that is in reported ARPU for Verizon and AT&T, and yes, it's an opt-out policy. Finally, we are skeptical that premium services, like Hotspot Data or better video streaming quality, are incentives to move up rate plans. We invite any company to offer data on why this will offer a tailwind of upgrades over the next five years. Quantifying the impact of migrating subs to higher rate plans. Despite the skepticism we detail above, we acknowledge that customers will continue to migrate up to higher rate plans. We just debate the pace of that migration. We estimate these migrations will layer on 50 basis points of growth to postpaid phone revenue on top of whatever subscriber growth the wireless operator is delivering. There are factors that can provide a headwind to this ARPU growth forecast. New accounting rules require that a substantial portion of handset subsidies are amortized over the expected life of the subscriber as a counter-revenue entry, compressing reported revenue growth rates. ARPU growth might also be negatively impacted if an operator offers service discounts to add lines to existing accounts. No other levers for growth? Move on to the admin fee. Administrative fees on wireless bills began around 2013 at $0.60 per line per month. The fees generate incremental postpaid service revenue for wireless operators that lifts ARPU. It's a way to increase price without changing the advertised headline rate. Admin fees typically rise slowly, but in 2018, AT&T bumped their admin fee up by $1.23, generating $800 million of incremental recurring revenue overnight. Their competitors soon followed. In total, fees have risen to $3.49 per postpaid phone line for each of the operators, although for T-Mobile, this only impacts a portion of its subscribers. We estimate that's generating around $8 to $9 billion of revenue per year for the three national operators. The most notable recent increase in the admin fee came from Verizon, It increased fees by $1.35 on all consumer voice lines and wearables, by $2.20 on some business smartphones, and by $0.98 on business basic phones. We estimated this add $1.5 to $1.6 billion to its service revenue. We don't expect an immediate response from Verizon's competitors as their admin fees are already at these higher levels. Running growth sensitivities on Verizon's admin fee. We ran a sensitivity analysis on Verizon to see how annual increases in the administrative fee could bolster growth. The incremental fees discussed below are in addition to the ARPU growth we expect from migrating subs to higher rate plans. To level set, our base case Verizon is 1.3 to 2.8% growth in wireless service revenue and 0.7 to 1.3% growth in total service revenue over the next five years. That is far below the company's 4% total service revenue growth target. Good luck hitting 4% growth. In order to reach Verizon's 4% growth target, we estimate it would need to increase its admin fee by $3 every year in perpetuity. That would result in 5% plus growth in ARPU. That seems implausible as the admin fee would top $13.50 by 2026, and represent over 20% of reported ARPO. We then examine what it would take to lift our longer-term wireless revenue growth to 3% from our current estimate of 1.5% for Verizon. This scenario required annual price increases that ramped up to $1 by 2025. This seems like an achievable plan, all else equal. In aggregate, it would take the admin fee up to $2.65, to $6 total in 2026. That's a level that would not likely generate consumer or regulator ire, given the muted response to its recent increase. Maybe it's time to just increase price. Wireless operators use these admin fees increases because they fear increasing the advertised headline rate plan. Higher rates cause churn and impact growth, or so they believe. In T-Mobile's case, it would raise extra scrutiny from regulators based on its promise not to raise rates for two years. Perhaps these companies should reconsider. Churn is at near record lows, and there is broad consumer awareness of inflation, providing the cover for these pricing moves. We also question the sustainability of phone subsidies to retain subscribers or impact what marginal switching still exists. Is it time to give up on share gains and just start increasing price? AT&T tipped its toe in the water on increasing pricing, and the backlash appears to be limited. It increased the rate plan on a portion of its base. It targeted legacy rate plans that we estimate represent 30% of the base. The price increase was $6 for single lines and $12 for multi-lines. It might also induce subscribers to migrate to new, higher-priced, unlimited plans. It doesn't appear to be impacting AT&T's growth since this story hit three weeks ago. John Stankey was quoted as saying, On the demand side, I'm not seeing any softening right now. How much extra growth does home broadband offer? We expect wireless home broadband to add an incremental $1 billion of recurring revenue per year for the wireless industry. That represents about 40 basis points of our industry growth estimate of 3 to 4%. The impact of home broadband on growth is meaningful to T-Mobile and Verizon, contributing 100 basis points and 60 basis points respectively to their total wireless service revenue growth. Our wireless home broadband estimates are below the guidance of these companies and therefore also likely below consensus, as we highlighted on our recent initiation of charter. AT&T prefers to pursue a fiber growth strategy. Home broadband is enabled by spectrum depth, not 5G. 5G proponents would note that home broadband is a 5G application that helps to justify the $200 billion industry investment, but if that money had been plowed into spectrum and capex for LTE, we believe there would be little difference in the resulting revenue generated by home broadband. The thick spectrum blocks that operators purchased or acquired help LTE speeds and capacity in largely the same way it enables 5G. In addition, We have yet to notice perceptible differences in latency between 5G and LTE, as measured, perhaps incorrectly, by the ping on speed tests. Only DISH appears to be taking the capabilities of 5G down a path that is materially superior than what can be achieved with LTE and traditional network design. Increasing our Verizon Revenue Estimates We increased our Verizon 2022 wireless service revenue estimate by $1.5 billion due to the increased administrative fee. As a result, we now expect slight 0.4% growth in total service revenue versus our prior estimate of negative 0.3%. Both are arguably in line with its recently revised guidance of flat. The higher admin fee also benefited 2023, increasing total service revenue by 30 basis points to 1.4%. That is still below its 3% guidance. We expect Verizon to continue to face headwinds in enterprise services, which we estimate is declining in the highest single digits. Verizon is fair value initiated neutral. Given our growth outlook for Verizon and the industry, we believe it currently is fairly valued at $52.50 per share, which implies 8.3 times our 2023 EBITDA estimate and a fully taxed free cash flow yield of 9% and a dividend yield of 5%. We will take this opportunity to therefore formally launch coverage with a neutral rating. Our five-year compadent annual growth rate for Verizon's total service revenue is 1.8%. That compares to 3% for AT&T and 3.3% for T-Mobile. AT&T revisions. We increased AT&T's total wireless service revenue growth 20 basis points higher to 4.7% in 2022 and 50 basis points higher in 2023, to 4.5%, in part because of the increased pricing noted above. at and would claim that the price increase was contemplated in their guidance, but we were below guidance. Our increased ARPU more than offset slightly lower subscriber growth estimates, resulting from the industry outlook described above. Our EBITDA estimate for 2023 increased by $500 million to $44.7 billion, which is $200 million above the top end of the guidance range and $1.4 billion higher than consensus. New $27 price target for buy-rated AT&T. We introduced our new $27 price target for standalone AT&T, which implies 8.6 times our 2023 EBITDA estimate and a 4.2% dividend yield. It also implies 2023 free cash flow yield of 6.5%. As a reminder, we exclude the DirecTV distributions and working capital benefits that AT&T cites when representing its free cash flow generation. We instead value the annuity of DirecTV distributions at $8.7 billion. We discussed this in a prior note entitled, A Closer Look at AT AT&T's Free Cash Flow. T-Mobile Revisions We reduced our forward churn expectation for T-Mobile. We previously thought Verizon's deep C-band spectrum deployments would have a larger impact on T-Mobile. We now acknowledge that deep spectrum deployments do not appear to have an impact on consumer perception and, as a result, near-term market share moves. Otherwise stated, running a speed test at 700 megabits per second versus 300 megabits per second just doesn't matter. Our new estimates lift our five-year compounded annual growth rate estimate of total service revenue to 3% from 2.8%. That is superior to our expected growth of AT&T and Verizon of one9 and 0.8% respectively, but below the 4%-plus implied long-term growth provided at T-Mobile's March 2021 Analyst Day. If we isolated wireless service revenue growth, T-Mobile is also the growth leader at 3.3% versus 3.0 and 1.8 for AT&T and Verizon. T-Mobile might be the fastest grower among its peers, but it's marginally better, and that growth is not fast. T-Mobile might be able to pick up additional growth versus our expectation, depending on the outcome of the Department of Justice review of their new proposed deal with DISH. In the near term... Our subscriber growth estimates are slightly below consensus, which itself is at the low end of guidance. That is interesting, as T-Mobile is typically expected to outperform its own guidance. We are obviously below guidance in future years based on the industry outlook outlined above. We believe fair value for T-Mobile is $140 to $150, based on 9 to 9.5 times our 2023 EBITDA estimate. This implies a fully taxed 2023 free cash flow yield of 43 to 4.6%. The limited upside relative to the risk do not merit a revision in our existing neutral rating. We look at comparable 2026 free cash flow yields across our universe. This takes into account the benefits of share repurchase and synergy realization and the impacts of rising effective cash tax rates. We believe the forward growth and risk profiles of these companies should look very similar in 2026. As a result, their valuation metrics should as well. In our note, we now have a comp table for the three wireless operators and charter. I would note specifically the free cash flow yield per share in 2026. For AT&T, at the current price of $21, it's 15%. For T-Mobile at $134, it's 13.3%. For Verizon at $51, it's 11.7%. And Charter at $510, you have a free cash flow yield per share of 14.6%. Once again, this takes into account our expectation of share repurchase for each of these companies. It's also important to consider the spread between the 10-year Treasury and AT&T and Verizon's dividend yield, as we show in a graph in the note. It's not all bad. In a volatile market, the relative safety of domestic recurring revenue has appeal. Low single-digit growth is also not terrible, especially given the anticipation that economic growth will slow and potentially recede. The wireless industry generates a healthy $65 billion of free cash flow on over $200 billion of service revenue. We also do not anticipate notable shifts in market share unless DISH's open network enables an innovative consumer offering. We think that's healthy enough to form valuation bottoms at a 10% free cash flow yield for these companies on the downside. And Now for the risks section. Let's start with T-Mobile, and we'll read the first three sentences, which is common to T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. Industry pricing is relatively tame at the moment, but in a competitive market, there is a risk that one operator could begin a price war, or a new consumer entrant could be enabled by Dish's network. Technological changes, like eSIM, can change the competitive dynamics of the market. As far as specifics for T-Mobile, T-Mobile has a history of executing on its business plan, so our net ad estimates could be too low if it's able to take share from competitors. Our fixed wireless estimates may prove to be too conservative if the company can execute on its long-term guidance. The company could realize additional deal synergies or lower merger costs that it already has presented. Moving on to Verizon... What's specific to them is the economy could recover faster than we expected, which could be positive for Verizon's enterprise business, which we estimate will decline by high single digits for the next two years. And finally, for AT&T. AT&T's use of handset promotions could produce diminishing marginal returns. T-Mobile might be able to maintain more dish wholesale revenue than we currently expect AT&T to win. AT&T's fiber broadband growth could be impacted by execution, supply chain, and competitive responses. Thanks and have a great day.